0: chapter in the book of Acts, super important chapter for the whole New Testament, because you'll recall these, these the Pharisees, Jews, were like, hey, these Gentiles are coming to the church, they got to be circumcised, and they got to obey the law of Moses. And there's this huge debate on what did they have to do? Did they have to follow the law of Moses? Did they have to get circumcised? Boy, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall to hear some of those conversations and how they went about it. But we find that, no, that is not the case. We're going to make it easy on them. We have been delivered from the law of Moses, Jesus Christ, amen. And so there are the few things. And so chapter 16 kind of picks up with Paul taking this news, taking what they have decided on the Jerusalem Council. And he said, hey, we're going to go back through these churches that we went through on my first missionary journey. We're going to see how they're doing. And we're going to deliver this news because this is important. All right. And so you'll recall just kind of the verses right before 16. Paul is getting ready to go. And I think it's great to note that uh, Barnabas is like, hey, let's take John Mark with us. And Paul's like, heck no. No, I don't want this dude on there. And you know what? As I was thinking about this, if you recall chapter 13, John Mark leaves Paul, leaves Paul and Barnabas. He leaves during the mission, the first missionary journey. And Paul's like, hey, I don't want this guy with us. And I think two things. One, Paul. I said this two weeks ago. Paul is like the coolest dude ever. I mean, cool, that's not exactly cool, but he has personality. He's a human being. We like... Jesus, Paul, and Peter. And they're like, oh, but Paul's a real dude. And he's like, hey, I don't want to work with this guy. He's flaky. He bailed on us. I don't trust him. I don't want to work with him. Right? He's a real guy, right? Sometimes we can feel that way. You have empathy from Paul. He understands that. Thank the Lord for Paul. Thank the Lord for any of you who are driven, who are fast-paced, hard drivers. This is where we're going. Get on board or leave. I know that's a little harsh, but I thank the Lord for those people. We need those people. We need those people that are going to go trailblaze and make it easier for us to follow. Thank the Lord. But also this, thank the Lord for Barnabas. Barnabas is like, hey, let's give John Mark a second chance. All right? So Barnabas takes John Mark. Paul takes Silas, who we kind of talked about in chapter 15. But thank God for Barnabas, who's like, hey, sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes we're not as gung-ho as we think we are. We kind of fall behind. Thank God for Barnabas' and for you who are like, hey, let's give the guy a second chance. Let's bring him along. He still has value. He still has good things to offer. So that's kind of the context. So we're picking up in 16. Paul is back on his second missionary journey, as it's kind of been uh, referred to. He's going to revisit some of the churches that he's already planted in the first one, and he's going to see how they're going. So let's start with that. Chapter 16, verse 1. Again, it's not going to be up there, so pull out the Bibles. Can't encourage you enough. Bring your Bibles, bring something that you can view it and look at it. It's so important. Paul came to Derby, 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 and then to Lystra, all right? Again, ladies and gentlemen, Lystra is where Paul was stoned. And as Jason pointed out to me, not stoned. (laughs) And I kid you not, I was preaching that two weeks ago and this had never occurred to me. Never made, once made that connection, but it was so funny. So I love that. Thank you, Jason. For, yeah, leave it for, it just, just leave it to a friend's university graduate. There we <laughs> go. Love it. Friends, you. woo. <laughs> but recall, man, I said this two weeks ago. Golly, Paul goes back into the city where he was stoning. Goes back again. What faith, what desire, what perseverance to go back to a place that almost killed him. Now he cares about them. He cares about the church cares about the gospel of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Lord for Paul. Where a disciple named Timothy lived, all right? This is our first little introduction to the Timothy. Your first your Bible's first and second Timothy. This is believed to be the same Timothy we get to meet this guy, all right? Disciple named Timothy lived whose mother was Jewish and the believer, but who but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Timothy Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him. Okay, if you're reading chapter 15, you'd be like, wait a minute, I thought they just said they don't have to be circumcised. Alright, what's the deal? Why does Paul feel it necessary to circumcise Timothy? Here's the point. Here's why. The second, the sentence following it. Because of the Jews who lived in that area. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. Alright, my commentary really enlightens this. He says... He did not circumcise him as a means to salvation. It was not a means to salvation. It was not, hey, in order to be a part of this family, God's, God's kingdom, you have to be circumcised. That was not the case. The reason why he circumcised him, and this is a quote from my commentary, it's an attempt on Paul's part to accommodate Jewish sensitivity and to ensure Timothy's acceptability among the Jews with whom he will work. All right? Again, Paul takes Silas. If you read chapter 15, Silas is a leader in the Jerusalem church. All right? So probably pretty Jew among Jews. Okay? He's also known as a prophet. He brings Silas along. This is great because Paul is going to be a missionary to the Gentiles, but he's bringing these very Jewish leaders, and he's adhering to Jewish sensitivity because he knows he's going to be preaching to Jews as well. He's trying to tear down any barriers that stand in between The gospel in them. All right? Here's like a kind of pretty close connection. It's like when we would go down to Mexico on a mission trip, we would dress a certain way. We were trying to put as many, as few barriers between us and them. We were trying to meet them on their own turf, in their own culture, in their own way. All right? So that the gospel could be heard. And so we weren't going to be getting into all these weird kind of ooh this is a really foreign person this is weird that makes sense praise the lord that's all we had to do was just dress a certain way and not get circumcised bummer timothy man Woo! timothy's committed though i love it okay so does that make sense not a means of salvation just a way for paul to adhere to the jewish sensitivity And to help their message go forward. Alright. Verse 4. Let's pick it up. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. It's chapter 15. For the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Amen. Alright. Let's continue on with chapter uh, 6. I want to point out a couple things. Um, Go to the uh, structure. Divine Inauguration. I think I have a uh, thank you. Perfect. So this is what I want to point out. We're getting into Paul's second campaign or second missionary journey. The structure that of, of this in, in Acts, Luke's writing, is very similar to what he's already shown us, all right? In Paul's first missionary journey. So if you'll re- go back through chapters 13 through 15, you'll see a similar structure in 16 through 18, all right? Paul's first missionary journey starts with a divine inauguration, Right? The Lord calls them to go on mission. The Lord is calling them to preach the gospel. We're about to read that. Then it it moves to outreach. And then it goes eventually back to Jerusalem, as you just read in chapter 15. And then eventually Paul will return to the churches he's planted. This is just a structure Luke uses to kind of uh, tell the story, if you will. This is important to note because he follows the same structure as we're about to see. A second structure that's been noticed by commentaries... and and scholars is this it's this very similar thing to peter's campaign or peter's missionary all right starts with an epiphany or again a calling divine calling god's calling them to mission calling them to preach the gospel starts with that we're about to see this all right then they meet resistance people do not take it and then they're incarcerated and then they're released usually from a miraculous way I'm going to point this out. I'm going to talk about this a little bit later, but I think it's important to see these structures, see how Luke writes. Luke is the author of Acts. He's kind of shaping his story around these structures. It's easy for us to follow. It's easiest for us to kind of relate with. It makes sense, and it's just good reading, essentially. <laughs> so let's go on to chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. We're going to kind of see this play out. Here we go. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of. Phrygia, Um, can you throw up the map, Tyler? Let's go with the map. I think whenever you read Acts, you gotta have a map on you because there's so many different places that just don't make sense, but when you can see it, it just makes a lot more sense of their journey. So you got the arrows, you can start following it, and you can start seeing the names. It's just helpful. I highly recommend it, okay? So the region of Phrygia, you can see. I do not know the names. I did not look into it, but you guys go, all right? And Galatia having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Question mark. I don't have an answer for you, but I encourage you guys to go and look that up. Why did Jesus, why did the Spirit of God not want them to go there? Look it up. I don't know. But maybe do some study. That's an interesting statement, not? I hope that grabs your attention. Huh. Why is that? That's odd, right? Look it up. Homework. It's good to engage with this, all right? Check it out. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas, kind of up there in the top left corner. They're on the coast there. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them i have three notes on this passage first one divine inauguration right epiphany this is luke's way of showing here we go here's the structure here's the vision the man of macedonia begging them come and help us this is god calling them calling them to come to macedonia top left corner to preach the gospel that's important all right again We can sometimes, we read about visions, and in 2023, we're like, ooh, vision, what was that about, you know? What did Paul experience, you know? What did that look like? You know, is a vision? You know, was he like, oh, let's go to Macedonia, you know? What was that about? Let's not lose the forest for the trees, all right? This is Luke's way of showing us God is calling them to Macedonia. He uses the vision as a, not, it's not purely a literary device, all right? We definitely believe he actually did have a vision, But it also acts as a literary device, right? He's showing. God is calling them to this mission, to this area. Notice the second thing. Concluding that God had called us. Concluding that word. It wasn't just that Paul was like, I have this vision, let's go. He talked with others. He talked with his companions. They concluded together. And I encourage you, if ever you feel like you have a vision, I encourage you go and talk to people about it before we post it to Facebook or social media, okay? Before we go and send it out, and thus saith the Lord, talk with some other people. Maybe talk with some people that maybe are a little bit skeptical, okay? Not skeptical of visions, but just going to ask some harder questions, okay? Are we sure this wasn't just, you know, any other dream? I have dreams every single night, so I'll be totally bluntly honest. When someone says, I had a dream, thus saith the Lord, I'm like, Okay, I, I, I might be a little bit skeptical because I'm like, I have a dream every night. I kid you not, they are some whack dreams every single night. And, but at the same time, I will not deny that there have been certain dreams in my life that I felt like, man, maybe the Lord is saying something through this and there is something there. So I'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but we do need some people in our lives that are going to be like, okay, hold on, let's just, let's, let's dive into this before we go and say, thus saith the Lord, the world's going to end on May 10th. Okay? All right? Just one example. All right? Second, third thing. Third thing. Did you notice it? Did you notice the small little thing in verse 10? Did you notice it? Did you notice the change? Did you notice the change in voice? Verse 10, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready. That is the first time in the book of Acts Correct me if I'm wrong. English is not my thing. Luke goes from third person to first person. If he uses we, that's first person. The word first person plural. This is the first time in the book of Acts that we get we thrown in. Luke has been giving a third person account of this whole story. And in verse 10 of chapter 16, he says we. He introduces himself into the story. This is important. This is good. It's subtle. We're going to get a number of verses where he's going to continue on. We did this. We did this. We did this. Why does he do this? Why does he choose now to do it? Was this where he first kind of got on board with Paul? This is where he's like, hey, I should probably write some of this stuff down. This is kind of interesting. You know? We don't know. But we know for a fact that he introduces himself into the story. He's showing, I'm there. I was here. I saw this. All right? I was there. And again, it's a bold strategy as a writer to put yourself into a story, all right? Because people can corroborate. Hey, was Luke actually there? Paul, Silas, other people? Was he actually there? Did it actually go this way? It's a bold strategy. And yet he does it to show us authority, authoritatively. I was here. I saw this. I'm writing this down. I am reporting this. It's beautiful. I just love that note. Let's keep rocking and rolling. All right, verse 11. From Trous, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day, we traveled on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi. Philippi is a big city. We get the book of Philippians from Philippi to the church in Philippi. This is an important city. A Roman colony in the leading city of that district of Macedonia. We stayed there several days. Keep hearing the we. Keep hearing the we. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. That's important because, again, not only only did she receive the message of Paul, but I think this is Luke's way of saying, hey... They got the vision right. This is a confirmation that God had indeed called them to this area to preach the gospel. Look, she received the message. That makes sense? It's confirmation of the vision. This is from the Lord. It's important to see that. She received the message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. You see another thing. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. That's another thing important to know. I've talked about marks of discipleship and, and in that culture and I think it's still into our culture today when you know a person's got it, hospitality. Luke loves to follow with hospitality. She invited them to their home. We're going to see this in another person as we're about to read after becoming a believer. Invites them to their home. Hospitality. That's important. That's encouraging to us. How hospitable are we being, alright? Alright? Right? It's a little bit different in our culture, but still, nonetheless, I think it's important. It's a, a kind of the, the I- ideology of uh, what is mine is not just mine, but I, I hold it loosely to give to others in need and to invite others into my home, into my property, to, to have what I have to some degree. Does that make sense? It's kind of that ideology, and I think we can do that in many different ways, and we do, and that's fantastic, and I think we want to keep going with that. Also, one more note on Lydia. She's a dealer in purple cloth. Commentators would say she would be of low social status but high income. Kind of interesting. She would probably make pretty good money being a dealer in purple cloth. However, the mere act of making it, they said, would be very uh, smelly, very kind of, you know, just kind of not gross, but just very uh, smelly, essentially. And she would be by water. And so it's kind of low. Social status. So I was trying to think of this, and no offense by any means, but just trying to relate it to our own culture, and maybe we would say maybe something like a garbage person. Make fairly decent money as a garbage man. But socially, we might say, well, all right, they're not exactly like at the top of our social status. Does that make sense? No offense. Golly, honorable work? I praise the Lord. My trash guy's super kind. I see him when I walk around. My neighborhood, love that dude. He always waves, always has a cheerful thing. He's a cheerful smile to me and stuff. But I think we can kind of maybe relate that in some sense. And I think this is important because we're going to get to our last guy. We're going to see the gospel is reaching a very wide scope of people from all social statuses. And it's important. Again, it's important. I know we take that for granted nowadays. But if you imagine you're in time of Acts, you, you know, 20, 30 years past Jesus' death and resurrection, you're really flipping cultural norms on their head and you're, you're pushing up against cultural norms that you maybe grew up in and now they're okay. That would be a struggle. That would be tough. And you would need people to remind you, no, this is right. This is good. We're on the path. This is right. This is good. Oh, I didn't grow up that way though. Like we didn't associate with these people or we didn't like... We didn't have meals with these people. And no, book of Acts is constantly like, no, it's good. It's good. This is part of how, what it is now. This is part of the way it is now. So that's important. I think it's excellent. Let's move on to chapter verses 16 and on. We are not going to read the whole thing. So you're going to be alright. But we move into the third prison episode so far in Acts. If you have been like, golly, they're always in prison. Yes, you're correct. This is the third time that Peter, well, Paul goes into prison, or in the book of Acts, one of the leading figures goes into prison. I want to make a note. I think it's a good time to make this note. <sighs> I talked about it earlier, about the structure of Luke, of structure of Acts. Luke uses these structures to kind of tell his story, right? With the missionary journeys, with the missionary campaigns kind of associated with Peter. Peter follows a similar formula. And again, it always seems like we're coming back to prison. Right? 16 chapters, we've had three prison episodes. I want to make a note, and I don't know, I think it's just worth noting. Just because Luke uses structures to tell a story doesn't mean he's making this up. Okay? Doesn't mean he's making any of this up. Storytellers always use structures. We know this. We take it for granted. We're almost sometimes can be oblivious to it when we watch movies, but they are all following essentially a very basic structure to tell a story. You have a main character who wants something, they get into conflict in trying to attain that which they want to some degree, and then the conflict resolves. That's the most simplified, obviously there are nuances, obviously they take that. But I think at its core, I think you can see that in just about every story, all right? It helps us to be able to engage with the character, we can relate with the character, we can relate with the story. And I think that's why storytellers have to use structures. The Truman Show, if it was a real show, would stink. Alright? It would be so boring. Alright? If you've never seen the Truman Show, watch that movie. It is an amazing movie. It's an amazing movie, but essentially it's a show that twenty four seven is filming his life. And this is before reality T V show. No. All right? Essentially, there is nothing, there is no, uh, there is some a little bit manipulation of his life, yes. But it would be incredibly boring, I kid you not, I would not want to watch your guys' lives 24-7. I'm just, you know, ah, I just couldn't do it. I'm sorry, love you guys. I'm sure you live all very interesting lives, all right? But we need, we need structure to it. We need the conflict. That's why reality TV shows today, were are like, <clears throat> not reality. But what do they all have in common? They all have conflict. You can't watch an episode of a reality TV show without conflict. And then it always seems to kind of resolve to some degree. Always seems to resolve. Oh, just kind of nicely, right? We need that as as readers, as engagers. Also the other thing why storytellers and writers do this is because you can't say everything. You can't say everything. I hope you all have a chance to give a sermon one day, and you will realize that in the 35, sometimes 45 minutes that you have to preach, you cannot say everything that you want to say. You just don't have time, all right? And if you tried, it would probably be fairly boring and unengaging and people would lose you and then they'd be daydreaming and then they'd come back, right? You know, we already struggle with that. Come on, let's all be real, right? Everybody, back to me now. All right, yeah. But you can't say everything. Even the Gospel of John... John ends, boy, if I wrote down everything Jesus did, the whole world would not have room for the books that I would write on, on Jesus. You can't say everything. So you've got to condense. You've got to edit. You have to put it in a structure and a form that's engaging, relatable. People can get through it and get the gist of what you're trying to say. That's why the Gospels are all a little bit different. They're all the same, but they're all in their own different way. Because they're all using different structures to tell these beautiful truths and the beautiful life of Jesus. They're all doing it a little bit different way. So, I just want to make that note. That sometimes we feel like, you know, not not we can feel like, but sometimes it's just like, okay, if these literary writers use too much literary device or this or that, eh, they must have been making this up. No, they're just excellent storytellers. They're trying to tell of a beautiful story beautiful, deep story in a way that people can engage and relate to. And that's what Luke is doing. And so thank the Lord, all right? Thank the Lord. This is a beautiful story. We're getting all these kind of ups and downs all around. This is great. So we move to this prison episode, all right? And Paul is going into this new town, right? He's going into this city. And you have this, this female slave who has a spirit by which she can tell the future. fortune telling. I want to make a note. In the Greek... It's called, she has a Python spirit, which I just thought was kind of interesting. I was like, oh man, come on, NIV, that would have been super cool. You should have said that, you know? Fortune telling, right. no, I get why they did it. But Python spirit, super cool, all right? Why is that important? This is super important. Python spirit, the original audience would have immediately associated the Python spirit with the Oracle at Delphi, all right? This is a important in the region. Just an important uh, kind of uh, institution, cultic practice. But uh, the Oracle at Delphi was just a, a, just a very well-known place establishment, right? And this Python spirit, what would happen is if a new religion or a new cult would come into this area, then they would expect the Oracle at Delphi, right? This uh, kind of someone working there to pronounce this religion to the region. It would give it some validity. It would give it some kind of traction showing that this is somewhat valid and this isn't just just foo-foo stuff. Alright? So what do we have here? Verse 17. This girl, this female slave with a python spirit followed Paul and the rest of us companions shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Does that not sound like a pronouncement? Isn't that kind of cool? Isn't that kind of interesting? She is, in this weird, odd way, pronouncing this gospel message that Paul and his companions are about to bring to the region. Isn't that kind of interesting? And so original audiences, and, and they feel commentaries feel very strongly that this would really tamp down resistance to their message. They would have had the backing, the validation, if you will, of the oracle at Delphi. And so people would have been like, okay, you come through the customs. All right, we'll listen to you. Isn't that kind of cool? It kind of makes sense with like Timothy being circumcised. We see how sensitivities are being brought into it or customs are being followed to bring forth this gospel message. And we see this in this brand new region of Macedonia. A custom being followed that the oracle of Delphi would pronounce this religion to the region. And we see that through this girl, this female slave, who has this python spirit. I think that's kind of fascinating. I think that's really fascinating and really interesting how the Lord worked through that. And also how that just kind of paving the way for Paul and his companion's message. Now check this out. Here's another interesting point. She, this female slave, kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. (laughs) Guys, again, Paul, he has personality. He gets annoyed. This dude is like the dude of all followers of Christ. And this man got annoyed. (laughs) Again, I hope you have empathy, all right? I hope you catch yourself a break sometimes when you get annoyed, all right? If Paul got annoyed, we're going to get annoyed, all right? He got annoyed. What's so funny is that's the reason. That is the reason given for why he casts out this spirit. Not because, oh my gosh, you have an evil spirit. You know, get out of you. But it's like, gosh, I am so annoyed by this person and the spirit. So, choo, 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 right? That's just hilarious. I love that. I love Paul. I just feel like as I read more about Paul, this dude just cracks me up, man. I love that. Check this out also. Verse 19. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone... They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. They lied. That's going to happen. That's going to happen, right? They're going to lie to the authorities. Their their means of money was taken away, but now they're going to go to the authorities and say, hey, they're actually doing something that was very unlawful, and it was to promote unlawful customs in their region. Horrible. So Paul and Silas are thrown into prison. They're beaten and flogged and thrown into prison. Some differences with this prison episode, all right? Verses 22 through 38 kind of talk about this prison episode. Again, I said this is the third one we've hit so far. Some differences about this prison episode versus the first two is that an angel of the Lord does not break them out. All right, you read the first two, an angel of the Lord breaks the chains, opens the the doors, leads them out. It is not, it is an earthquake in this one. All right, what's the verse? Uh, Verse 26, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Again, culturally, Luke as a writer, Everyone would agree this is still God doing this. This isn't some random earthquake. This is still the Lord just using natural means, his power over the entire universe to bring about what he is trying to bring about that is their release, all right? He uses an earthquake this time. So cool, so neat. Check this out, though. Paul and Silas stay. They don't leave, okay? The first two prison episodes, Peter and I think Peter both times. Actually, uh, maybe it was Paul the second time. I can't remember. Anywho, they all leave. They all go out. But Paul and Silas stay this time. They stay. And the jailer wakes up and sees them, about to kill himself, and Paul's like, hey, don't do that. All right, Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. Verse 29, the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? guys, I want to read you a quote from Philo. Philo is, uh, he's like a big uh, theologian philosopher in the first century, all right? He was born in 25 AD, so just kind of before Jesus kind of starts on his ministry and is crucified, all right? And if you read first century kind of Judaism or theology or philosophy, you're inevitably going to run into Philo, all right? He is a prominent figure, all right? Very important for us historically. To understand that time period and i think even as he wrote during his day and age he was well known all right this is a this is a very valid source he says this of jailers i love it i do have it up there for you guys to read everyone knows well how jailers are filled with inhumanity and savagery for by nature they are unmerciful and by practice they are trained daily toward fierceness as, be, as to become wild beasts They see, say, and do nothing good, not even by chance, but instead the most violent and the most cruel things. Jailers therefore spend time with robbers, thieves, burglars, the wanton, the violent, corruptors, murderers, adulterers, and the sacrilegious. From each of these they draw and collect depravity, producing from that diverse blend a single mixture of thoroughly abominable evil and this man was saved and this man came to know Christ and this man was worthy of the kingdom of God that is an amazing amazing transformation and an encouragement to all of us that again you have Cornelius in chapter 10 a Roman centurion of high social status is able to find the Lord is able to believe in the Lord and be accepted into the kingdom of God. You have Lydia, high income, low social status, because of her job, finds the Lord, believes in the Lord, accepts the Lord. You have a jailer, thoroughly abominable evil, finds the Lord, is able to believe. And then again, I think in the whole book of Acts, we get this great scope of the kinds of people that this gospel is reaching. And again, to our modern day, Again, the gospel can reach anyone. We say it all the time. Anyone. The lowest of the low, the highest of the high, the most intellectual, the least intellectual. It is there. It is available. It can happen. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's worth suffering for. It's worth suffering for. The last little point, again, because I love pointing out Paul's personality, Alright, they're coming to release them. Magistrates are like, release those men. Verse 36, the jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. Verse 37, Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens. And threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No! No! Let them come themselves and escort us out. This dude's a boss, man. He's like, anytime, he could have been like, Roman citizen, you can't do this to me. At any time. But he's like, no, let's let this play out, all right? Because I want them to come back to me and to have to apologize to me and to Silas for being Roman citizens and for treating us unfairly. So we'll wait, we'll wait, we'll wait. Dude, I love Paul. That dude is awesome. Officers reported this to the magistrates. And when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. Man, Paul's just a boss, dude. He's just a boss. Hey, let's review. All right? God inaugurates the mission to Macedonia, fulfilling his call to make disciples to the ends of the earth. That's kind of the thesis for Acts. We find it in chapter 1, all right? God inaugurates the mission to Macedonia. Lydia and the jailer show the scope of disciples being made. You have low social status. You have abominable, evil people coming to know Christ. Paul is a human being. He gets annoyed, all right? And he's got a little bit of sass to him. Like, yeah, we're Roman citizens. Come over and apologize, you know? He's got some, some personality to him. He's great. We see another mark of discipleship is hospitality, and we always want to continue to grow in hospitality and continue to believe that, that we... Uh, We share our things with other people. We do not hold them close-fisted, and we do not hoard them, but we want to serve other people and invite them um, to partake in what we have. Just because there is structure in Acts doesn't mean Luke made this up. Again, he does use structure. Undoubtedly, the Gospels undoubtedly use structure and stuff to form their stories, to make them engaging and relatable. That does not mean that they made them up. It just means they're good storytellers. Praise the Lord. And lastly, Paul, like a boss... Went back to the city he was stoned in, as we read in the first verse. On this Palm Sunday, we remember Jesus who went back to the city of Jerusalem. All right? Jesus knew what was waiting for him, he knew the suffering that he was going to incur. He knew what was coming down the road, and he still went back to that city. Paul, same thing. They suffered. Paul Eaton, thrown in prison, all right? lied about. And boy, you keep reading Acts, it just gets kind of worse, right? Shipwrecked, going to be really thrown in prison, where he eventually will spend the rest of his life, to some degree, incarcerated. All for the gospel's sake. And as I said two weeks ago, you don't do that without faith and desire. Faith and desire for the Lord Jesus, for his purpose, for his will. And boy, we celebrate on Palm Sunday Jesus' faith, his desire to obey the Father, to walk in what what the Lord had for him. Man, we're going to suffer. We are going to suffer. We know that from two weeks ago that you will experience many hardships while entering the kingdom of God. We're going to. We're going to. And I want to encourage you this morning with a little inspirational video. You guys are probably going to be familiar with it. It is one of the best, best lines, soliloquies uh, ever in film. It is one of my all-time favorites. I'm probably going to get teary-eyed while watching it. But I want you guys to be inspired. As you are suffering, as you are going through hardships for the gospel, doing God's will, what he's called you to, You're suffering for that. I want to encourage you this morning to keep going. To go get back in there, baby. Get back in there. All right? To get up, dust yourself off. Take a breather. Get a good rest day in. Take a Sabbath. Get back in there. All right? Let's watch this video. Check this out. (laughs) there was sound. Oh, no. Is there no sound? YouTube, you failed us. There no sound? No way to fix it? I mean, it works right before this. That is weird. You want me to lip sync it? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I'll encourage you to look it up. How about that? Look up this That's all right. That's all right. I could probably give the general gist of it. How about that? I'll give the general gist of it. This is from Two Towers, Lord of the Rings. This is Sam's, uh, again, his soliloquy um, where he just shares they're they're struggling, him and Frodo, to continue to persevere. They're struggling on this. It's painful. Uh, And this is where Sam just kind of encourages Frodo. And shows and kind of recalls the tales that really mattered. It's kind of the, the, the crux of it. Uh, the tales that really mattered. And he thinks back on the tales that really mattered. And how the folks in those tales had probably many opportunities to turn back. And they had many opportunities to quit. They had many opportunities. You guys got opportunities to stop. Right? You're not doing anything against your will. We have free will. We have the ability to choose, to follow. We do. And yet they did it. And Frodo and Sam did it, and, and Aragorn and the rest of the crew, they did not and, and Paul did not and Barnabas didn't, and Silas and John Mark, and Jesus sure as heck did it. And it can feel that way. It can feel that way. You're just like, I can't do this anymore. Can't keep going. And, and why, you know, Frodo's like, Sam, what, how can we do this? And Sam picks him up, and he said, man, because there's, there's something good in this world, and it's worth fighting for. There's good in this world and it's worth fighting for. And Paul believed it. And Jesus too. That there is truth. There is good truth. and It's worth suffering for. And the whole world is like the Macedonian man who's saying, come and help us. And it's worth suffering for. To help them. To do God's will. It's good. Man, and it's, it's, it's Jesus. It's His kingdom. It's not a political movement. It's not a political party. That's not the good in this world. No, it's Jesus. And that's worth suffering for. And that's worth getting up in arms about. And that's worth being, being gung-ho and passionate and driven for that end. Because that is worth fighting for. That is what they need. That jailer would have continued in in his abominable evil if Paul and Silas were not thrown into prison to save him and his household. Man, there are people all around us. They're saying, come and help me. And boy, will you suffer? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Don't be surprised by it. Don't be surprised by it. We will. But there is, it's worth fighting for. Martin Luther King said, you don't start living until you have something to die for. I would just critique it a little bit. I think he would fully agree with me because I think there are dumb, dumb things to die for. So I think that's not totally right. But boy, when you have truth, capital T truth and you are living for that man and you're willing to die for that as Paul as Peter as Jesus we're very willing to do man then we start living then we start living then we start living with passion and zeal and I encourage you this morning to look up that video it'll make you cry it's a teary but I encourage you in your suffering to keep going it's worth it it's worth fighting for and boy lean into the Lord Pray daily for your daily bread. Pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. Boy, pray daily. Depend on Him. Keep asking for truth. Depend on each other for support. God has called us. He called us to do His will. And we are going to suffer sometimes. But let us not be afraid of it. And let us not shrink back, as Hebrews would say. And let us not be in the fight. Amen? Stand with me. Let's close in prayer. Father God, we are so grateful for your word. We're so grateful for these stories of Paul and Silas and Peter that are encouraging us, encouraging us as we uh, pick up the mantle, carry the torch of your uh, desire to make disciples of all nations, um, to bring, to build your kingdom, to have your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven, God, to help people. And Father God, we pray for your strength. We need your power, Holy Spirit, to help us. Because we are weak. We know we're weak. So God, you are strong. And we need your help. We need your help. As we raise children to follow you. Raise children to be boys and girls, men and women of character. And of strength. To be able to live in this world. God, we need your help in our workplaces where work is tough and coworkers are even tougher. And I don't know why I'm here, and it's just draining mentally, physically. God, we need your help. Show us purpose. Give us vision, God. Give us strength to do your will. God, and God, to reach our coworkers for you, Christ. Father God, help us all. Whatever we may got going on, God. God, encourage us in our faith. God, we need to experience you. Boy, we need deeper intimacy with you, Lord. We need to be close to you. How can we do this without having a deep and intimate relationship with you? So God, God, draw us to yourself and help us to make any necessary changes we need to make in our lives. To spend more time with you. To know if you're real. And if you are real, to be close to you. To be close to you. To draw from your relationship and your love and your power and all that you are. Help us, God, to spend time with you in your word and prayer. Help us to find that time. Help us not to get distracted, thrown off course. Father God, encourage us. Lift up our heads. Help us to consider it all joy, no matter what trials may come our way. Oh, Father God, we need you desperately. We need your wisdom, Holy Spirit, to guide us into all truth. As we somewhat live in a confusing age, Father God, we need you to keep going and to go back to the city and to go back to the places that scare us, back to the hardships that are waiting for us, back to the things we maybe have avoided or want nothing to do with for our own uh, self-preservation. Father God, lead us in your will. We trust you. And we look forward to a new day, a new heaven and a new earth where all these wrongs will be righted, where darkness will end. Father God, thank you. Praise you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 Happy Palm Sunday. We look forward to Easter. Do do want to make an announcement. We have Monday, Thursday. This Thursday at 7 p.m. It's here. Come. We have somebody being baptized. Now I don't see him. But Vince is being baptized. Really come to encourage him and support him as his church family because that's, that's why we witness baptisms, all right? So I really encourage you to come. It won't be a long one, but it'll be a great time just preparing our hearts and our minds for Easter. So that's that. And then next Sunday, 9 a.m. is when the breakfast partay begins, okay? So I want to see some of those casseroles and some of those things that I know some of you have made and I've had. I want some of it, all right? So make sure you're here by 9 o'clock. We'll have the breakfast, and then service will start at 10.05 It'll be a normal Sunday morning service for Easter. We'll celebrate together the resurrection. Amen? Anything else? I think that's it. God bless you guys. Have a great week.